Welcome to the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Factory Sports. Head on down to see the boys at 4903 49th Ave, downtown Lloydminster. They're open Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And they got their winter hours now that hockey season is in full gear. Uh, Sundays, 10 through 3 p.m. They can get you hooked up. They got a wicked stick selection. On top of that, you know, obviously they do skate sharpenings, any team apparel, uh, hockey, helmets, gloves, pants, gear, you name it, they got it. They're super smart. They're good to deal with. Head on down and, and, and see the fellas. This episode is also brought to you by Fountain Tire. I've been ragging on you, you guys to make sure you get in and get your winter tires put on because, man, this week has been brutal. It has dropped now to like minus 20, and uh, it's full-blown snow weather, full-blown winter. We had freezing rain the other night, and I can just imagine there's somebody sitting out there with their summer slicks rolling around, uh, sliding through absolutely everything. Make sure you head down to Fountain Tire. They're open Monday through Friday, 7.30 to 6 p.m., uh, Saturday 9 to 1 p.m. Sundays they're obviously closed. Give them a call, 780-875-6267, and talk to Kent and staff, and they'll get you hooked up with some winter tires. Announced uh, last Wednesday that hockey is uh, – Hillmont is hosting Hockey Day in Saskatchewan for all of Saskatchewan uh, this coming January, January 16th to 19th. Uh, Thursday night you got Wade Redden and friends playing on a little game. Friday you get the banquet at the exhibition grounds here in Lloydminster featuring Brian Troche and Tom Rennie. And then Saturday you got Midget, uh, Midget AAA men's and women's teams both playing from North Battleford, followed by the S- uh, SJHL's North Battleford North Stars versus the Notre Dame Hounds. All that in Hillmond. Uh, and I will find out here very soon where you can p- purchase tickets for. Uh, those events that is uh, really cool to see come to the Hillmont community. I haven't done uh, shoutouts here in a while, so I thought uh, I, I got a little bank of them growing here. So I thought I'd just uh, hammer off some shoutouts. First, Cole Costa Riva had messaged me there. Uh, great work on the podcast, man. Listening to Corey Crosses right now, uh, he was really enjoying that one. Uh, Curtis Longmere said, keep up the good work, Sean. I really enjoy listening to the history and old stories uh, of the area. It makes the long drives fly by. He was talking about last week's Vic Juba episode. Troy Clark uh, said uh, he just found out about the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, so he's been going backwards through all the episodes. He hit Colin Sankow's and said it was fucking awesome. He's a beauty. Those are his words, not my words, folks. And I appreciate that, Troy. I look forward to uh, hearing what next one you're on and what one you're enjoying. Graham Murray said, uh, liked your interview with Wade more than the chiclets one. He was talking about spitting chiclets. He seemed more open with you. Uh, appreciate that, Graham. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. If you haven't listened to Wade, he was on uh, just a couple weeks ago. Brent Ween said, hey, man, enjoyed the latest episode on the podcast. Looking forward to part two with both Cross and Redden. Uh, obviously, he was talking about listening to the Wade Redden episode. Um, and then finally, Mike Keeley had reached out after I did the Vic Juba episode. He said, hey, Sean, love love the podcast and hearing from all the people back home. Just finished listening to the Vic Juba pod and thought it was great. I'd say one of the best you've done in ranks right up there with a few of the other old boys like Shep. My family's known the Juba family for an extremely long time and was really caught off guard and loved hearing Vic talk so highly about my grandfather, Jim Hemstock. While my grandfather passed before I was very old, I think I was 12 or 13, but I can remember him talking so highly of Vic and his wife, Anne. Um, I also vividly remember 
how much the Jubas did for my grandmother after my grandpa passed as the Jubas lived two doors down. Anyways, great work. Keep uh, uh, keep it up. So I really appreciate all you guys reaching out. That's really cool. I love hearing the feedback. If you want to give me some feedback, hit me up Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or shoot me an email, Podcast gmail.com. Lo- love hearing um, what you guys are thinking of all the different episodes of different guests. And uh, yeah, love just interacting with you. This week on the podcast is Adam Huxley from Wainwright, Alberta. He runs uh, his hockey academy out of out of Wainwright. Trains a lot of guys. He's his story is a little interesting. He's bounced all over the place. He fought a ton in his career. Um, spent a lot of time in the minor leagues, uh, anywhere from the East Coast League, AHL, and so we get into all that. And without further ado. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. I'm sitting here today with Adam Huxley, and we're just discussing for Mr. Shesnick, who I'm sure is going to listen to see this name come across, and go, you interviewed Adam Huxley? Because as far as Hillmont and Wainwright go back, when Wainwright first entered the Sask Alta, Adam Huxley met us in the first, uh, second round of playoffs. And we're just joking around about, well, you could you could talk to it, speak to it there. Well, Huxley. you know, that was a different time in my life. I, I had just finished pro, and uh, I had a pro mentality, and... If you're like a grittier player or even if you're a first-line guy, I mean, when you come back at first, uh, pro hockey does not translate to senior hockey. Completely different mentality. Everyone works the next day, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you bring that same – they just don't mesh. And uh, so you got to realize, like, you might be training these kids, uh, guys' kids, or they might know someone. It's more of a business thing. And – and I didn't probably act proper in, in that sense. But, uh, you know, I'm at the side note, I still play a little bit. And, yeah, I mean, now I'm a much different player. I play defense because I don't want to be running around hitting guys and I don't want to get hit. And I try not to say a word to anyone. But, you know, you had the odd snap where guys are hacking you and you hack them back or whatever. Or you, you have your mini freak out like anyone that played. But uh, at the end of the day, it's a completely different mindset um, now and and you know what I, I still love the game and I still love the contact and stuff like that I'd rather do that than wreck so it is a step up from that but yes you have to have a different mentality I believe uh, when when we first started talking about doing this I'm like oh man I hope he forgets about that because I was <laughs> I was probably all over him but I mean he was their best defenseman here, here, here's the here's the thing if you go back uh, we just played Logan Harlan I was talking about Logan Harlan to you off here. I was actually talking to my wife about Logan Harlan. So his first game in Hillmont, his first game I've ever played him senior, I assume he's played maybe a game or two, but like his first real season in season, senior, he comes out and he's running everything. I remember coming back from pro and my first real game in senior, I threw out like four or five hip tracks and injured like two or three guys. And I had guys yelling, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm going, oh, playing hockey, right? But I remember it's hard to get that competitive mindset out of you right because you've just come from literally fighting for a job every night and so i, I get it it's still fun to, to banter about it because we were on the other side staring at you and actually you know until i got looking in your career i was like geez it's a good thing i didn't look into your career because you have quite a storied record there of yeah. where you came from and i didn't realize half of that when i heard your name i'm sure half of our team went ah who gives who gives a shit let's yeah. go fucking play hockey no, absolutely. Um, my first game against Kid Scotty, actually, that year, of all teams, at the time they were kind of weak kind of thing. 
I, I literally was training to play that summer. So you can imagine I, you know, I get 200 penalties a year. I fight, I hit everything that moves in, in pro. And, uh, I come out my very first shift. I'm like, ah, like, you know, just like you would in pro, like, let's go set the tone. And some poor kid was behind the net and I literally could feel his shoulder blades crunch together when I hit him and he needed to get dragged on the, off the ice on his back, basically. <laughs> And I, to this day, I'm like, oh man, I think, what kind of mentality was that? And I didn't even get a penalty because it was a clean hit. Yeah. But I was just, you know, that's a probably a 21 year old kid that probably isn't in the gym every day or anything like that. Yeah. And I'm literally trained to go, you know, hit pro guys that are 200 plus pounds. And I mean, anyone who's been in that situation can figure that. But, but yeah, no, that was that whole year. Not only that, with the coaching, with everything, it, it, just the life transition was a completely different thing. And if you play against me now, I mean, you know, I obviously in playoffs and stuff, hockey's full of emotion. I mean, some would beg to differ now when they watch the NHL, but uh, it still has emotion and whatever. And I'm never not going to be emotional, but I have learned to control my emotions significant amount. Probably could still be another 25%, but you know what? Whatever. I mean, it's better than where I started. I still play senior. And uh, you talk to the boys I play with. I have a horrendous time. Com- the game's all about emotion, right? Yeah. You can control your emotions. You're better off. But there's lots of times in a game, a guy comes and catches you unaware or gives you a dirty shot. Yeah. My my temper flares like that. So no, I, I, and absolutely. And, you know, I watch some of these guys. And, the, like, I don't know if you watch that Ma- Austin Matthews clip. And, you know, like, th- he's an amazing player and everything. But, you know, so is Sidney Crosby and McDavid. And if someone got clobbered by them... They wouldn't just skate by him. They at least get a stick on well, the guy or get in their face. Like Sid actually fights for the teammates that's and right. himself all the time. Well, did you see? Did you see Johnny Taves last night? Yeah. Last night, drop his mitts in the first thirty seconds against Toronto. Yeah, no, absolutely. It set the tone for their team for the whole game. Didn't even think twice of it. It no. was freaking awesome. And and you know that's that's the difference. That's a changing of the guard. We're talking about guys that are you know late twenties, early thirties. They still have it. The the really young guys have completely missed that. I mean, Petrie turned around on that Matthew clip and he was like ready to go pre pre drop his gloves. Cause he's like, someone's jumping me. And he literally skated by him and he was shocked. He almost jumped. Matthew was for not jumping him. It was a crazy clip, but you know, like Austin Matthews is a great player, but you could at least get your stick on him or something, but we don't come from that era. So today, if a guy gets buried on my team, I'm going to jump in there. Right. And, and, but that back then they just recently made a new rule. You, if you get suspended when you play now, you can still coach. But back then it, you could be, uh, you could be coaching your kid's novice team and not be allowed to be on the bench until you served your senior hockey suspension. And that's if a guy jumped you in the last minute and you yep. got a fighting misconduct and you have a one game, you have to wait to sit out a senior game before you can coach your kid's novice game. Like that's the dumbest thing ever. So they've changed that. Because uh, when I was in Lacombe last year, someone jumped me in the last 10 minutes. Or no, I got two 10-minute misconducts for something. And uh, they, uh, I, I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to coach, right? And I get paid to coach for the Bisons or whatever. And uh, I, I had to call Aaron Rollick. And, and they, they, they actually fooled around with me there and played a trick on me and said that I couldn't coach. But then they, him and Michelle just <laughs> said, no, they've changed it. You can coach, whatever. It's that, that we got rid of that rule discretionary you go get a gross misconduct for spitting in someone's face then you're not allowed yeah, on the yeah, bench yeah. but how if you if you get suspended at the end of the game for a two minute checking from behind then you're not going to be suspended as a coach how 
I assume you're similar to me. How hard is it to watch hockey now? Like you saw Lucic the other day get his two game suspension for for punching the guy behind the net. Oh, you and and when they yeah. slow it down, they make it look this terrible thing. And then if you read Twitter or anything, all the analysts get on them. Oh, it's a dirty play. Blah blah. When you're watching like full full steam, it's oh. like don't get me wrong, he punches them. But I mean, is it worth a two game suspension? Man, that's a two minute penalty. In my to be honest with you, in the coast, my first few years. That would be two minutes for the guy who who hit the, goalie, hit the goalie and two minutes for you. Right. And to be honest, you probably would have hit him four more times while he's down. Well, I mean, that's just the game. That guy does that, and then he turns his back like that's going to help him, and Luch just reaches around and catches him. Don't turn your back. Take it like a man. That's my opinion. But, again, total different thing. But that Sherwood kid's actually a really, really good kid. I went to Columbus uh two years ago for development camp yep. and he is a super nice kid and crap. And, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, man, you want to play and, and guys like Luch, like, okay, well they're going to, you know, he's on the ice and whatever. Now, you know, I mean, does he still serve a purpose? Absolutely. But at the same time, the game is kind of past some guys like that by at the same time. Well, if Luch was making a million, two million bucks, it wouldn't be such a big deal, but he's making a big contract and sticks out like a fish. Yeah, no, he does. I mean, for the amount of money he's making, he's got to be a top nine forward, and he's not anymore. But, you know, at the, at the same time, the guys in the room, I guarantee you respect the hell out of him. So it's it's kind of one of those catch-22s now. Yeah. So Let's, let's switch gears for two seconds. When we were talking here uh, this last month, you went down south to help Nate Diaz were you helping or were you just know Nate okay, Diaz? How so, fill in the blanks here. Um, and for the people who don't know Nate Diaz, maybe explain a little bit about Nate okay, Diaz. So I just went down to to be like I knew I you know, I had some time off. So I went down to I knew like there was fight camp or whatever, so I went and stayed in the apartment and stuff like that. Um just got around, was around the boys or whatever. Um so when I when I were when I went to play in the oiler system um, they sent me to Stockton or I went to Stockton and then I signed with the other, sorry. And, um, so when I went there, um, I, I was, you know, I was in my like 20, 30 fights a year mode. And, uh, actually Nick Diaz, Nathan's older brother was at a game. And so he came and he watched and he loved the fight and whatever. And we were at this club after like, you know, on a Saturday night, boys win, we go out. So, and, and at eight, five, six, it was called. And anyone who knows Stockton, it's like gangster gangster over there. Like people that live around here, like you think you live in a bad neighborhood or you think the rural crimes around here bad, go to Stockton for a, a night or two and you'll come back with a whole nother perception of what bad is. Stockton's a, it's, a, you know, read any index for, crime it's a crazy it's a place. place but you know what there's so many cool things there as well there's so many good little areas and and whatever there's so many good people still it doesn't mean anything um but anyway nick came up to me and he goes hey who's the guy that fought and i was like oh that's me whatever and <clears throat> so he's like hey um we have a gym uh overbound by the rink downtown and it's called torres it was um pacific torres um, mixed martial arts, um, Phil Torres, this guy, and they, and they trade under Caesar Gracie. And he's like, Hey, um, you know, you got to come down and then check this out. And he's like, I think you'd like it. So I, you know, showed up and of course next late, like he always is. But, um, anyway, I, I went in there and there's like 40 guys, some guys with like tattoos on their face and all kinds of stuff. Really awesome guys, like 
crazy environment completely. But uh, Nick goes, uh, you know, so we're showing us moves or whatever. That's what they do in jiu-jitsu class, you know. They show you the stuff and they show you how to escape the stuff and they show you how to apply the stuff, whatever. And then they have open roll and, and he goes, and I'm just sitting there, okay, so like, I'm going to get tapped out by all these guys. There's like kids there and crap that probably tap me out. Nick's like, okay, you can roll with me for the first time. And, and they go five minute rounds and Nick must've tapped me out about nine times in the first five minutes. Like every muscle, every joint on my body probably got manipulated. And so, yeah. So I I was like, you know what? I want to get better at this stuff. So I started going there and it was great for, for what I was doing for hockey fighting and stuff. Cause they fight in geese. So it's like, heavy cloth so it was great for grabs and stuff and uh there's boxing there and all kinds of stuff so anyway i started going there all the time and then i got to know nathan as well nathan was getting ready for some fights um he just won the ultimate fighter the summer before yeah so for the people who don't know nate diaz was the winner of the first ultimate fighter correct no no, that was forrest griffin but very early on it was one of the ultimate fighters yes it was one of the he, he was one of the first ones. Yeah. One of the first ones. Yeah. So Nate Nathan had just won the Ultimate Fighter, and uh, so Nate was there and and whatever. And so uh, I got to know Nathan pretty good as well. And I kind of and then anyway, one day the team was gone on a Saturday, and I was suspended or whatever was going on. Can't quite remember. And um, so we were just rolling, and it was all the pro guys. Okay, so it's not like normal class. And uh, Nick's like, hey, man, um, he was getting ready for um, for uh, Eddie Alvarez at the time in Force, who then on, on went on, obviously, to be a champ and whatever. Nick would have killed him, but that's beside the point. Um, and he, this is in Force, and he goes, do you want to spar? He's like, I see that you can box because I was pretty good at boxing. And so I was like, sure. But he's like, you need a mouth guard. And I said, oh, okay. So I like literally like went to Target and got one of those water ones, <laughs> like where you put it in the, the hot water and sink it to your teeth. So I went in there and you know, to be honest, right off the hop, like I was okay. And, and I, I did, I hit Nick with a body shot pretty hard. Like, you, I mean, they go as hard as you do kind of thing. Right. And I'm the, I'm the mid round guy. So I don't start out. They have someone that pushes the pace and then I would go in and then the guys that are like legit that way we're going to push him hard going at the end. And I went in and I hit him with his body shot and I could see him kind of wince just a little bit. And I'm like, Oh God. And he came up and he faked it and he hit me right in the middle of the solar plex. I remember. And I was winded, but I was still fighting. And then he was talking to me during, he's like, are you all right? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. I'm like, oh, I'm okay. And then I'm three minutes was up and I'm like, Hey, we're done. No, we're doing five minute rounds. I'm like, okay, it's boxing. It's three minute rounds. Right. MMA is five. They're no, they're boxing for five minutes. And I'm like, Oh my God. So I had to stand in there, but then I went another round. So then Nick's like, Hey, you did really good. Whatever. You'll have to spar again. But anyway, I was getting my stuff to, to go. And he's like, Hey, why don't you come by the house? Come hang out. And then I, you know, I went over to the house and the rest is history. I became friends with all their friends. And to this day, I'm still friends. I was just in New York hanging out with all the guys um, for Nate's fight, all the old OGs, they call them, um, all the old guys. And, uh, there's still, a lot of them are still there. They're still training. Now they obviously own a NDA together, Nick Diaz Academy. But, uh, but yeah, no, that's kind of how I started hanging out with them. And so then, you went down to New York and got to party with the, the old guys and watch a couple fights. Well, yeah, the, the New York thing I got to, so I, uh, I went to the fight, so I got to go to like the weigh-ins and all that crap with the team. I was yep. on the bus, whatever, probably just tagging along more than anything nowadays. But, um, 
Uh, and then I got to go, uh, uh, I had a ticket up in the 200 levels at Madison Square. And uh, Yancey Medeiros, the guy that he, he's a fighter as well. He fights in the UFC. He's from Hawaii. He's an unreal guy. But uh, he, uh, he, he, his guy wasn't coming. So he goes, hey, you want a ticket? He's like, you can have my, you can have a ticket with me. And so I'm like thinking, okay. So then we walk in through the the entrance or whatever. And then, then we're going in and I'm like, wow, we're going to the floor here, you know? And then not only did we go to the floor, we went into where all the fighters and stars are. And I sat in the front row, like his ticket was in the front row, right by the cage, right where they put the Vaseline and stuff on outside. It was crazy. So like, I was one section over from Trump, so I'm like eye line with Trump, and then like Jason, <laughs> I, uh, the rap. Trump was at the at, was at the fight. Yeah, literally, and then some guys from NDA, like a few guys that are Nathan's training partners, actually gave him a pound when he was leaving. He was cool, but never mind the media. Everyone cheered him like it was loud when he came out, and when he waved, you heard a few boos or whatever. But, like, the media sounded like they booed him. They cheered him relentlessly. There's no question about it. There's such a, there, there's such a fine line between the, what the media tells you and what actually is. And then outside, it was crazy. There was a counter-protest and a protest for the Trump supporters outside the thing. It was massive. It was, it was, a, it was a cool event to be a part of all together. I mean, Madison Square Garden. I mean, yeah. you look at the history there. And, uh, yeah, the whole thing was pretty cool. Um, I'll never forget any of it, but yeah, I know I was front row gate right here. So it was, it was pretty cool. Pardon the interruption. Today's IHD innovative question of the day is where did Adam play his SJHL career out of? He plays for one team for a cup of coffee before heading off to the Saskatoon blades. If you know the answer to that, Send me a, a message on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or shoot me an email at Podcast at gmail.com. You will have your name entered ten times. And this week is a signed Pep Hockey hat by Connor McDavid and a hoodie from Pep Academy. So I've put up pictures of that on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So if you want to be entered into the draw by an autographed Pep 97 hat by Connor McDavid, Give me the answer of where Adam played his junior A hockey in the SJHL, and uh, you'll be entered. All right, times 10. Now, back to the show. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, your hockey career, because you've kind of bounced around and been just about everywhere. I was looking up some of your stats, man. Your uh, penalty minutes a few of those years are heavy, heavy, like 200-plus. I assume a heavy chunk of that you've already talked about lots of fights. Um, so I was just curious, you grew up in Wainwright, Alberta. Uh, when did you, when did you know that's what you're like? Were you always that kid back in Bantam midget? You know, I actually, to be honest with you, if I could go back and change anything, it would have been the way I was. I was like, you know, my dad would coach us or whatever. And my dad was a really good coach. Every, a lot of teams he coached actually won double a provincials back when there was the rammel right where yeah two triple a leagues i also played in the rammel yeah he he won like three out of four years he coached there wainwright won the 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 whole rammel and uh so he was a pretty good coach but i was like the anti-son which a lot of people are like (laughs) oh your dad tells you something so you do the opposite kind of thing so if i could go back i would have did a lot more listening and stuff like that but no i was i was kind of 
you know, actually I was probably an uncoachable kid. So now when I have kids on the ice with, uh, with, uh, novice Adam, anything like that, you know, to be honest, I, I have a soft spot for some kids because I'm like, that was me. And I can't get mad at that. Like I get mad and I, whatever, but I'm like, this is just karma really coming around for probably all the coaches and teachers and every other thing. I'm constantly, if I have a, if I'm out and about and I see a teacher or whatever, I'll always go and apologize to him for the way I was in class and crap. Even though I was a 90 student, I still could be a handful at times. I'm sure when I was young. So, but anyway, needless to say, um, no, I never really had the, the, I never really fought much. Um, and then I went to junior to, I was in the SJHL and to be honest, I played, like I said, I, I played some good hockey and then my, my, I went to Notre Dame and I actually played tier two Bantam one year. just needed a change of scenery from Wainwright, to be honest. But I, I went there and I played tier so two Bantam. You moved there and went and played tier two Bantam. Well, so you're talking was, like Bantam A? I got cut from, I got cut from the triple A team as a last cut. And Denny Almer, this guy that was the coach, he didn't like me very much. So I didn't play in the Tier 1 team. So I got sent to the uh, – I was on the Tier 2 team. And I, I honestly, I wanted to come home. I was like, I'm coming home. This is – why would I stay here for this? And my dad would be like, just give it another week. Just give it another week. And then November 1st rolled around. It's like, oh, hey, I can't get my money back anymore. You're staying. <laughs> so he kind of like got me into that. But anyway, you know what? I wouldn't trade that experience in Notre Dame for the world. Um, there's so many things you learn and live and, and whatever there. And to be honest, it's actually when I first, I went, before I went there, I wasn't, my dad's like, Hey, you should go here or whatever. I went to medicine hat to training camp <clears throat> and I was like, man, I want to do this. I'm not far from some of these guys or whatever. So that's, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to Notre Dame. And then I, like I said, I got cut a couple times and I, whatever, but I, I ended up staying and I wouldn't trade that experience or anything for the world would i go back there the next year absolutely not but at the same time i wouldn't trade that that experience for anything because to be honest that was the turning point in my hockey career so the next year i came can, back can i just stop for a second there so you went to notre dame played uh tier two so you're talking bantam a yeah bantam a hockey yeah and then lived in dorms there yeah so what changed that year for you if that was the turning point in your in your career well, to be honest with you the uh, the A team like the tier well it wouldn't be A it'd still be kind of double A but the the turning point is that was probably double A at home to be honest with you like uh, there's kids from all over all right? over the world so yeah you have a pretty all over game, like tier our tier two team would smash you know a bunch of normal tier one well, we would kill the tier one teams probably be competing the double A league here sure is really what happened and but I was 15 because back then remember it was two years of bantam two years of midget. So I was 15 years old, and uh, I ended up uh, staying. Well, I had to stay because my dad's like, I'm like, can't put money back. You know, and back then it wasn't as expensive either. But uh, so then, yeah, I know I went, did that, came back, and then then I was like, you know what? I, I learned to train properly there. Sean Hope Ross was the trainer there. I was on acceleration. They have that treadmill there, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of started getting better or whatever. I just needed to clean the mental side of it up. And I think that that was a big experience living away from home and stuff. And I think that really helped me with that. Met a lot of kids from other places, realized like, you know, Wainwright's not life kind of thing. And I came back and, and then um, I played double A in the Ramel or triple A, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Triple A. We had a, we had a pretty good squad. And, 
And then the year after that, you used to be able to cross borders. So I was 16, turning 17, I went to Melford, just junior A. Well, first I went to Moose Jaw, and uh, I didn't really – I they wanted me to play exhibition, but I didn't want to sign. Did uh, did you go in the Bantam draft at all? Anything no, like that? No. Just walk just walk on to yeah. the Moose Jaw Warriors. Yeah, and that's and, and to be honest, in Notre Dame there was a lot of that. Kids that got drafted and I mean kids that were gonna try and get drafted. There, there's a lot of political stuff that goes on with some of that stuff. Some of those kids' brothers were there bef- the year before. Whatever. I mean, I I'm not a huge fan of or read into politics, so to speak. There as sad as it is, there's a lot of them in hockey. But at the end of the day, I don't really care. You control your own circumstance. I'm a prime example of that. So I came back and I went to the SJ and I was a defenseman. Um, I went to Moose Jaw and then they wanted to play me in the exhibition, but I didn't. And I'd went to spring camp in Melfort and they're like, okay, hey, we'll guarantee you a spot. And back then you could cross borders. So the year before I actually went all the distance, I right to the regular season with Gord and with the Bobcats, or I guess they would be the Blazers back then. And they had a really good squad. That's the year Fort Sass hosted, or Fort uh, McMurray hosted the RBC. So they were loaded up too. And so I made it right to the end there. And then so they, they were rebuilding the next year. So I can't remember who took over for him after he left that time. But they wanted me to come bad. But then I I ended up saying, no, I want to go Melford. I got a good vibe there. So I went. And I was a D-man. And here's how this the the fighting story is actually kind of funny. So I never really fought. Like I, I fought at camps or whatever, you know. Yeah, but, I but every really took it seriously. And, and every kid, the, I would argue, fought back in camps. Yeah, that just was, well, you had to. Yeah, I mean, I know first line guys that would, you know, it was just part of camp. Like it was part of making a team or whatever. And and to nowadays, if you're the one guy that got in a fight at camp, it's like, oh my god, you got in a fight at camp, kind of thing, right? Anyway, um. So I, I, I went to the, some guy, one of the older guys or two of the older guys shaving cream, my brand new dress shoes. We were in Labrette, right? So back then. Back had, when Labrette had a team. Yeah. So they, we were in Labrette and they had this tough, this few tough guys on their team, like tough. And I was like, and, and they had me on forward, right? Because we had seven defensemen and I played, they want to put me in the lineup still. So I went on forward. And so they shaving cream my shoes and they ruined my brand new shoes that I just bought. So I was mad. So I like, I went out there and I didn't talk to anyone before the game or anything. And I went out there and I ran everything that moves and I fought twice against the toughest guys, probably one of them in the league. And I did good. And that, to be honest with you, I kind of got a little bit of a reputation from that. And then after that, I was like, I'm not scared of anyone. So then I started fighting a lot more. And then, um, it was uh, Kevin Dickey was used to be Melford's coach back in the day. He met his wife there. So there he was out visiting his in-laws one night, and he's the head coach of Saskatoon. And so he came to the game, and we were playing Weyburn. And I had a really good game, like an energy game. Like I got in a fight. I finished every check, whatever. So the next day he listed me. And then that summer he convinced me to go there. And so I was like, you know what? I, I was like, I had some talks from some schools on defense. But it was for like a year or two later, and I'm like, do I really want to do that? And whatever, like I had talked to Cornell because I had really good marks and stuff like that. And I'm like, is that is that really what I want to do? Sit around the SJ for a couple of years? And I was like, or should I go to the limelight? You know, the Western League. There's a lot of limelight up there. You know, it's a different set. You're playing in awesome cities and blah blah blah, right? And uh, so I said, no, I'm gonna go. So I I left. 
camp. I left the next year and the summer I decided to go and I trained really hard and I went there and we're right before the first skate and I went on the ice. I was the first guy out there. I was five minutes early. I was jacked up to go ready to rock. I was going around the ice. I did like a little pivot. Boom. Caught an edge. Fell into the board. Separated my shoulder like, like bad. Like six weeks bad. So I'm crawling off the ice as the guys are coming on the ice just to skate before a warm up. I was out there. Not a soul was out there in the Harold Latrace arena. Um, and so then I uh, crawl off and the trainer's like, oh my God. So then they check my <laughs> shoulder out and yeah, sure enough, I got a bad separation and whatever. And I just remember sitting in a room with Kevin Dickey and uh, um, uh, McEwen, our, our GM. And he's like, I don't even know what to say. I've never even seen it. And, and Brent was like, I'm going to, I got to get rid of this guy. Like, I mean, what do you like, what do you want me to do? Hawks? Like I, we don't even get to see you play. Like here, he's like, and Kevin's like, no, we're not going to do that. Just let us think about this. But Hawks, you just opened the door for other guys to make the team. So I just remembered crying on the way. And I, I went to meet my friend in PA, went to stay there for two days before Melfort's camp. Cause I was going to, they sent me back to Melfort and I was like, I was like, Oh my God, my career is over. I just remember that drive from Saskatoon to PA was just emotional. And I got there and whatever I went to, I went and I rehabbed my shoulder and started skating and started going and, and they were like, and started trying to get back in the lineup and it was awesome. And I was going to have a heck of a year there and whatever. And the dub thing was done kind of thing. And then September 11th happened. So it's crazy. The September 11th happened. They just released their fighter the day before he called me on September 11th the day the world trade center this is why i'll never forget it so we're watching the tvs and stuff and i'm like oh my god this is craziness you know uh all these kids were like all these you know the buildings are going down whatever and then i get a call from saskatoon that day hey hey you ready to come back i'm like oh really they're like yep ready to go be at practice at three o'clock because a bunch of the guys that were at camps in New York or wherever, they shut down the airline. So those guys can get in for up to like three or four days. So like, come up. So I went and I remember thinking like, okay, well, I'm on the team kind of thing, right? And and then, so I'm sitting there or whatever. He goes, I want to see this. And he's like putting me through paces. And I'm like, what the heck's going on here? And he goes, okay, good. And then I get off the ice and, and Kevin's like, you're our guy. Go up and talk to Brent. So I went upstairs and signed. <laughs> and then I was a blade. And so that's when that whole, that whole thing started. But yeah, it was a crazy thing from being the only guy on the ice and falling into the boards with no one even around you, getting a separated shoulder, thinking your career's over to next thing you know you're signing. Like it was a crazy, but I'll never forget September 11th for that. Those two reasons, obviously. Obviously that l shut down the airports. No, the guys they maybe had coming in all of a sudden are of no use to them anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, the guys were coming back from NHL camps and stuff. They couldn't come. Like, they had guys, like, going through New York or, or you know, like, Atlanta or whatever, but it doesn't matter. All the airports were shut down for that day at least, right? And some of them couldn't get out for, like, two days, three days. So, yeah, we didn't. So they called me up. It was, it was pretty crazy. And then that's that kicked that in, and I never looked back. I mean, I never even thought about the SJ again. And uh, I Would you play three years with the Blades? I played uh, two um, and my third year, I got traded to Seattle. To Seattle. Yeah. So 
in your time in the dub, what was your what was your favorite barn to go playing in? Favorite barn? I mean, favorite and how? Well, yeah. What are you thinking? Well, you know, now that I think about it, I hated playing in. I hated playing in Brandon. A, they were really good. They had two two, and they're tough. Um, Craig and Thirsty and all these guys, Thurston, um, who I ended up playing on the Lacombe with and I'm really good friends with now, but man, we used to have some bloodbaths. That guy's the strongest man alive, but, um, and I, you know, going there, they had a great team. They run the crap, like, and Jordan was running around back then. Half the things people are getting five games for was just an average shit for him. I think he (laughs) wrecked more guys' heads than ever because he hits like a truck and he you're allowed like that was acceptable that was a good hit back then um and just remembering smelling the cow poop when you walked in there cow shit whatever um <laughs> i don't want to swear so uh but yeah you, you walk in you come in that back door and all you can smell is a barn literally barn and then you get to the rooms and the rooms are that old school hard floor and you got to walk down steps to go on the ice because the rooms are have steps going into them the showers were cold man it so now if you think about a character barn like that's it right i mean now back then i was like oh we gotta go to brandon brutal brutal travel on the way there yeah you know all that stuff boost jaw i mean same exact kind of feel I only they were they were very good, but they were tough. But they were beatable, though. They didn't, you know. Um, PA, pretty much every one of those barns is like if you think about it now, it's it's pretty crazy. But as far as like this is so cool that we're having this, we're in this building and stuff was definitely the Saddle Dome. All your friends and family came because it's the Saddle Dome. And when I played Edmonton, didn't have a team. I just missed the ice. Yeah, and it's then. Nice. And then, and then the, the startup of two the... years later, three years later, they started up the oil Kings. Right. So afterwards, so I just missed that. But as far as I'm concerned, the saddle dome would be the glitz and glamor. Like this is so cool. What had the best fan interaction for a guy who tussled an awful lot? Was there a barn you went into? Maybe it was the home barn. Maybe it was Saskatoon. Well, I mean, when you go to the States, I mean, that's where like spoke Portland, those places are crazy, man. Those are the those are the places. Those are the places with the crazy fans. Like it it was quite anything a thing, that so. sticks out. What's crazy? You what know, what sticks out about it? Oh, they're just they, they well they're not really educated in hockey, so they just love carnage. They love fights. They <laughs> love hits, and they're loud and obnoxious. And they, they they actually have really good chirps and stuff. To be honest with you, what's the best chirp you've ever heard? Oh, I've heard a lot of chirps, but I I actually, <laughs> you know, I was in Vegas and. Uh, Stephen Oleski was in the box, and Stephen Oleski has you think like my story is one thing, that guy's story is a whole other thing. I mean, that guy went from I'll, I can tell you a story after, but anyway, uh, Stephen Oleski's in the box, and tell I, it quick. Who is Stephen Oleski? Okay, Stephen Oleski. So I went to camp in Rockford, and I watched this kid. I was like, this kid's great, and he went to the U-Haul league, right? And and they weren't even playing. Well, he went to Toledo, and they cut him, so he went to the U-Haul league. And they had him playing forward. I'm like, what are they doing? There's no way this guy can't play in the U-Haul League from what I saw in Rockford. And I was an uh, older guy on Boise. And so I was talking to this kid that knows him. I'm like, where is Ole? Like, because we, we need a D. And I and Laxey's like, Hawks, do you know some D? We are short. We need to bring some guys in. I said, well, this kid was awesome at camp or whatever. So Oleski was just quit the U-Haul League to go to go manage two pizza shops, like a pizza guy. 
I'm not even as funny as it is to talk about D Man and pizza. I'm no word of a lie. He was gonna go and work at some pizza joint and manage his buddies to pizza shops in Detroit. And uh, I was like, no. I said, man, let's get. This. I said, ask him if he would come here. And he's like, oh, I would die to do that. So we had to convince the U-Haul team to release him, and then we signed him, and he came in, and he came in, and Laxy, the first day, Laxy goes to me. He goes, I said, hey, Lax. You know, he hasn't skated for like three weeks, right? And he came in and Lax, he's like, this guy is a workers' comp waiting to happen. Workers' comp claim happening. You can't even skate and this and that. And I was like, oh, my God. So anyway, he started going and started playing. And, and his first game, he, he played or whatever. And, and Lax, he's like, hey, Hawks, this guy can't play at this level. I was like, just give him some time. He barely skated. And then he had three weeks off. And uh, time went on, and, and he's like, Hawks, you said this guy was tough. I haven't seen him fight once. So I go, Oli, you got to go out. You got to show me something. You got to show him something here. You got to fight. I can't be the only one doing this or whatever kind of thing. And so he's, I'm like, yeah. So then the top defenseman in the league who shakes his gloves at everyone, that guy, right? He does that to Oli. Oli drops his stuff and just starts teeing off on this kid that has 60 points as a D-man. And I'm like, and the guy turtles, and we, we get a four-minute penalty, right? And so Loxy kicks me in the back, Derek Loxdahl, that is, right? Now, obviously, you know who Derek Loxdahl is. And he kicks me, Hawks, what the hell kind of thing? He's like, so then after the game, I go, Oli. So I go in the coach's office, like, hey, Loxy, that's my fault. I told him to fight. I told him you wanted to see it. I, I'll talk to him, please. Like, So I go, Oli, read the stat pack, man. Ask questions if you have to. If you're going to fight a guy. Anyway, Oli went on and as time went on, Lax would be like, you know what, Hux? He's awesome on the penalty kill or he's this, he's that. And then at the end of the year, Laxie, when he pulled me in, I brought also brought Tyler Spurgeon in as well. And he goes, hey, we don't, we're not, we went to the Kelly Cup final and lost. We sh-. It was devastating because we were a better team and stuff. We got depleted by the American League and some other stuff, but, and lost. And he, he just said, hey man, without some of these guys, you guys helped us bring in. He's like, we don't have the same team. They're such good guys in the room. They, they did everything. Anyway, next year, Oli came back. We got a new coach. He got called up to the American League, played for Bridgeport. And no word of a lie, two years later, he was playing with Ovi and guys like that. He put, finished the whole second half of the year with Washington. With and the Washington Capitals? Then, yeah, listen to this. Then he went and he put his time in Pittsburgh. He played some games or whatever. And Sid loved him. Those guys loved him in the room. And he won a cup with Pittsburgh. And so he literally has the cup, and 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 the the best tweet I've ever seen. I don't care what you say. Guy has never drank a drop in his life, and he said, "This will be my first and only cup I'll drink out of." And he took a drink out of the like he had out a, of the Stanley the cup. cup out of the Stanley Cup, and uh, now he owns a massive uh, rec kind of league out in Detroit, and like uh, they have a bunch of pros play in the summer. He does a bunch of charity stuff. Probably one of the best human beings you'll ever meet. But uh, what a story, though. Went from being going to be managing a pizza shop to playing in the NHL and winning a Stanley Cup three years later. That is pretty freaking impressive. Yeah, he's awesome. And uh, what a good guy to have around as well. <clears throat> Sorry, my phone is blowing up right now because Don Cherry either just got fired or just stepped down. Yeah, I'm not going to comment on that. I'm, I'll take the high road. I love Don. I... I personally don't think what he said was bad, to be honest. I think that people, this is just it's just the wrong time. It's so sensitive right now, and uh, CBC is obviously, you know, 
funded by certain people or whatever. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to comment on all that because, you know, I'm sure your show is not about politics. So It's not about politics. I, I find it... I listen to what Jerry says, you know, he just, he said it at the wrong time. If this is, if this is two years ago, it's not a big deal. He says, I live in Mississauga. Very few people wear the poppy downtown Toronto. Forget it. Nobody wears the poppy. Now you go to a small cities, you people that come here, whatever it is, you loved our way of life. You love our milk and honey. At least you could pay a couple of bucks for a poppy or something like that. These guys pay for your way of life that you enjoy in Canada. These guys paid the biggest price for that. He he never says anything like I mean it's implied what he's trying to say, but in bigger scope he's just saying we gotta right like man if you come to someone's country I mean but the, or it, even if you're even, even if, if you're even if you're in, in the, the country, country I mean you gotta you gotta respect its history like people who go to to Germany respect its history they understand its history right like they understand what and then you know they understand what the jewish community went through there and they understand what the what everyone went through there they you know it's it's a common as, thing as time goes on and more generation like the generations that were alive at world war Two, there's hardly anyone that's alive that was world war one or can yeah. even recount it right and as time goes on, people forget. Yeah. And so it's like, why are we even wearing the poppy anymore? Yeah. Right. No, that's that's where we're we're slowly getting to. So when Don Cherry speaks out about it, and everybody loses their mind, he didn't even like when you listen to what he said. It's, I'm not saying that. Let's be honest. He he's he's very like borderline with today's standards, and they're just looking for something to fleece the guy. Yeah, he's been, they've been wanting to get... It just sucks that they wouldn't just let him do it on his own terms. And and it's too bad, Don Cherry. That's what I was thinking. But it's now, too bad. now it's going to be like, well, who's going to have a personality at all on any kind of thing? They're, everyone's going to be a robot to whatever their beliefs are. You can't be a... You cannot have a personality on mainstream media. And mainstream, I mean... The big television yes. networks, anything like that. It's hard. That's how, I, when I listen to it, I go, but that's how Don Cherry made his name. Yes. His name was not about going vanilla. He, he wasn't, yeah. No, he wasn't trying to be like, oh, I'm on the on the, the majority here. He was always like, no, I'm going to tell you what's really up. But, and he was always pro-Canada, yes. right? Like, he was. I mean, you can't find a more Canadian guy, and I just find it hilarious all these people that turn on them and crap but whatever i'm not even gonna get in that that's <laughs> political so. well i just see my phone's blown up yeah. so we gotta talk to it yeah. but anyways let's go back okay so you play in the dub um you start your essentially fighting career as you graduate from junior a into the dub you started you said you started in junior but now you're fighting all the time how do you so you go from the dub down to because you didn't get drafted correct no no draft. No. How do you find... Camps, but you were getting letters or people reaching out after watching and Yeah, I know. You know, I got invited my first year. I got invited to Phoenix. So that's actually where I met Marty McSorley. And we just had a charity thing in Wainwright where we brought Marty and stuff. Actually, I just talked to him today. Him and Bernie Nichols are going out to um, uh, Jamie McLennan. And they own um, the uh, their... their hunt farm out in the uh, by it's by uh turtle lake oh turtle lake yeah, okay so that's that's uh connor mcclennan's dad um, okay yeah country outfitters yeah and uh 
So the, him and Bernie Nichols are actually going out there. They sold a thing at the rotary thing that's for our CT scan. I sold it for like 15 grand. So these people are going out to, for charity obviously, are going out to uh, <laughs> to uh, go to uh, hunt with Marty and Bernie. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, so imagine the stories they're going to come back with after that. That's two pretty pretty prolific well, guys. So. Bernie put up 50 in the show. Yeah. And McSorley... Well, everybody knows McSorley. Yeah. Like, I mean... Yeah. No, it was awesome. But we had Flurry. We had all these guys out for this event in Wainwright. It was really cool. So it's too bad we couldn't get them on the show. Huh, it's early. I'm in my infant stages. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> well work yeah, on it. For sure. Next time they're out for something, I can try and set it up. But... uh but yeah, no, they're out there actually tomorrow. They're out there. So out at Turtle Lake. Yeah. They're out at the hunt ranch tomorrow. So, uh, but anyway, needless to say, that's actually where through the, through the Phoenix connection. That's how I met Marty. He was our coach in uh hall. That was quite the tournament. Uh, back then uh the year before actually grant mcneil can tell you this if you ever have him on the show okay the year before they actually had to shut down one of the games because of the fights there was 12 fights before the second half of the game because there was no fight rule and uh florida went there with all these thugs they had chef they had mcneil they had the oh man they were just loaded with tough guys what league was this this is the nhl this is rookie camp so, of the NHL. Yeah, so we were in Hall, right? Who were you? And you were there I was for the with Phoenix. You were with Phoenix. Yeah. So Marty McSorley was our coach, and Shane Churla. <laughs> so they actually, you know, obviously they liked me because I fight. So I had some good fights there. My the first first fight I got in, I fought uh, Gregory Campbell, Colin Campbell's kid, and uh, I, I. It's actually funny. I just saw him last year in Columbus. He's their development guy. Still, so I still don't. I I know he knows me, but he kind of acted like, "Hey, I'm just meeting you," but he knows what happened. <laughs> Wink. Um, then the and then the next game, I fought uh, Brian McGratton. That was a really good fight. He's tough as nails. Who is who is the toughest guy, or most skilled fighter you've ever fought? Like, who's the guy you look back and you go, "Man, either that was just a great fight, or I'd never want to fight him again." I or... would say Eric Nielsen. Eric Nielsen? Yeah, he's in the minors. He's actually Sid's. He actually protected Sid through junior. He's a tough kid. Crazy, tough, explosive. Um, fight's pretty open, so it kind of caters to where I am, but he just seemed to always, I would make one little mistake, and it's the only time I ever really got caught in a fight. That's, in junior, here's what I learned. I mean, you watch these guys on, and, and everyone's like, oh my God, you see those fights like from the LNAH or whatever, like Nasty and all those guys. I have a lot of respect for all those guys, always will. But man, you got to realize you get one brain. Why are you? Why are you? It's it's. Why are you putting? It's it not a. Much? It's it's to me. It's not like smart or tough to just take them. Like, why? I said, you know, like the whole point is for you to inflict conflict and or in pain and not get it back. So when I trained, I started training. I was okay. I got to figure it out. So I figured out some grabs. I had a lot of techniques. I got my gas tank more than other guys and you know what i i chess match them but i when i was time to go I, I i would get them tired and i would go right if you watch my fights but i take very very minimal contact and i don't seatbelt guys or anything like that i'm just smart okay I'm, i fight like like I, I you know like when i was in stockton and stuff i learned a lot about grabs i was telling you about i box okay i know how to get inside 
man, the night before a game, I'm studying the guys on the other team and what their tendencies are and stuff. Which is smart. What plays into me. I I will watch that guy fight 20 times. I'll watch seven of his fights before I know Learn what's going on. Learn his tendencies yes. and know what he's going to try. And you know and what? If, if I get in a game and I'm having watched a guy and I fight him, right, I'm I'm not like, you know, sometimes you got to call the red light. Sometimes it's time to just go. You're in survival <laughs> mode. You tap the red light and it's like you got to read and react. But I like to breathe and calm down too. A guy that blacks out, please let me fight that guy. I will fight that guy all day long because you know what? He has no idea what he's doing. I, on the other hand, am, I'm slow. I like to breathe through my nose, out through my mouth. I control my breathing. I do all that stuff. And I stay inside. I try to set punches up. So if I'm throwing two rights, I'll throw one under. I know where their heads are going, etc. I'm like super duper technical. And that's why I lasted so long doing it. I didn't get caught a whole lot. Who did catch you? Well, you know, one fight this... I, I hit him and I slipped one of his punches and I went to throw one and he just... I happened to be off on the timing. This Gimblet kid, I think it was Jesse, he caught me. I went in. I went down or whatever and I went to the box. And we, we served our five and I got out and Ryan Mujanel was a coach in Vegas. He goes, Hey Hawks, are you sure you're all right? Cause he's all, he's Keith Primo's best buddy. So he's all worried about concussions all the time. I was like, I'm fine. It's like, I'm perfectly fine, whatever. And so I go, I'm going out next shift Muj and I'm fighting that guy again. And he goes, Hawks. I'm like, no, I'm good Muj. We're good. So I went out and beat the tar out of him the next shift, but I was ready. I was mad and I don't get mad a whole lot. And when I do, and I, if you can put the mad or the skill together, that's when you're a dangerous human being. And so I went and did it, and I and the boys were like, "Yeah, you weren't lying. You were mad." So yeah, no, I mean, I got clipped there. Neely, Eric Nielsen caught me once in Stockton, and then once in in um, in Alaska, he cut me open. That's where those one stitches. I haven't got caught a whole lot though. I gotta ask, in your hockey DB, you go from after the dub. You go from Alaska, Vegas, Victoria, Stockton. I mean, the list goes on, but those are the first four. You bounce all over the place. Okay, so it wasn't really bouncing. So Alaska was at the end of my 20-year-old year. Okay. So you just go up at the end of the year. End of the year, okay. Yeah. And then the next... What was, what was playing in Alaska like before we go anywhere else? Alaska's well, cool. I mean... You're flying everywhere, <laughs> honest, I assume. I, it's, not a, it's not a desired location for me. I get really depressed in the dark all the time. Like, you get up at, like, noon and it's dark out. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Like, when we go there on the road, you get up at 9 or 10 and it's still pitch black out. And you're eating breakfast and you're like, man, it's 9 or 10 in the morning. Like, and they're, it was a hard place to play. Okay? They, they had really good teams there all the time. And it's... And uh, the, they have the big rink. So... Like was, an Olympic style yeah, rink, yeah, and they 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 have awesome fans up there. That I, I forgot to say that earlier. They got great fans, a lot of respect. They just had an alumni game. I think they had like six thousand people a night for two. They had to, to do two, and when after they score, they throw this big steel fish head on the ice and all kinds of crap. But they, uh, yeah, they run an awesome program. Have for a long time up there. That's why they won some championships. Um, yeah, no. So it was, it was cool. But at the end of the day, like I said, it's, it's more for, for me, I'd rather go there in the summer. But, uh, then I went to Vegas. Um, so Played what happened is that's when I went to Calgary. Mm-hmm. So I had sent, uh, I sent Calgary a letter cause I didn't really have an agent at the time. 
sent them a letter and Daryl himself called me. He's like, you want to come to camp? And I went to camp and had a really good camp. I got in some fights. Let me get this straight. I'm going to back you up. You sent the Calgary Flames a handwritten letter? Yeah, basically. Well, not typing, (laughs) but yes. Yeah, from me. And who'd you send it to? I sent it to Daryl. How'd you get Daryl's contact? I sent it to there and attention Daryl Sutter. (laughs) So then Daryl brought me to camp. So I went to camp and then I had a really good fitness test. Then I, uh, I went and fought a couple times. Obviously, I played really well in the camp. And then the lockout happened. So right after camp, he's like, "Hey, what do you want to do?" And there was an option for a three-way. So back in the day, before the first lockout, you could have a not first, but the first Major modern era, modern yeah, era lockout, right. two thousand four or whatever it was. Um, they made a rule: you can't have three ways anymore. You can only go to two ways. But I could assign a three-way, but that just means you could be in the coast in the same place for three years getting paid 500 bucks a week type thing. Right. Because that's what it was. NHL, AHL, East Coast. And so the, that, uh, the guy that was helping me at the time was like, don't sign that, man, really. In hindsight, I probably should because you stay in the organization but and have a chance because they went to Omaha the next year. So then I went to the American League because there was no NHL. What was, what was Flames Camp like? It was awesome. Was who, awesome. was a co- who was a coach back then? Ha, oh, Jimmy Playfair, Daryl Sutter. And Daryl Sutter. That was yeah. when, was and Sutter coach so, and GM? Yeah, and then in the American League was Tom Rowe, and uh, because we split, they split with Carolina in yeah. Lowell. Yeah. And then the East Coast was was Las Vegas, and that's Glenn Gullitson. Imagine that. So, um, so then I was at camp or whatever, and Gully was there, and whatever, I got to meet Gully there, and um, they said, okay, well, we'll go to, we'll did sign you, you on did an you American have to, League deal. Did, did you fight in, in camp? Yeah, lots, like who, three who, or four times. Who were the, who were the big guys uh, you had there then? Do you remember? Back then, well, cause you know what? It was only rookie camp because they went to lock up. Oh, okay. Camp. Yep. So then I fought there and then I went to, uh, then I went to, um, um, the American League to Lowell. Well, you got Carolina sending Eric Stahl and all the guys that won the cup the year before. Right or you know they just they just won the cup. Yeah. Okay. Um, or actually, I think they went on to win the cup. I can't remember. No, no, no. Calgary was in the final the year before against that. Tampa, and the year yeah. after was when, yeah, when Carolina yeah. beats Edmonton. So you're yeah. thinking of the players. So they're sending Mike Commodore, uh, Chuck Kobasu, uh, you, you know, like all these guys down, and then you have them sending Eric Stahl, Wardo, uh, Mike. Um, Mike Zigamanis. So you could imagine there is zero room for Adam Huxley or anyone. But <laughs> they keep, you know who they did keep on a three-way? The only guy they kept, or they kept two or three guys. They sent Derek England to Vegas, right? Derek, Ego, uh, back, rewind. Ego is one of the toughest guys I ever fought in my life. I have utmost respect for him. Not strongest. He just doesn't have that meanness to him. But if he wants to kill someone, he will. And he's tough as nails. Like, tough, tough. Ego has got to be one of the toughest guys that I've ever played against or been near. But um, so they sent Derek England and they kept Giordano up. Giro was an undrafted player that signed out of camp, which is crazy now that you think about how long and how crazy of a career, a career he's, he's had. had and how good he's been. Yes. So Gio was uh, on a three-way and they kept Gio and he played like 45 games that year as a, on a three-way Actually, in Vegas, in the trainer's room, they actually had his jersey, so he was going to get sent down at some point, but he didn't end up coming. 
So, yeah, it was impossible to go there, obviously, right? I mean, there was zero room because the lockout went the whole year. So had the lockout and all went the whole year, maybe things would be different or whatever. So I went down and I played for played for Gully. And what was what was Vegas like? Vegas was awesome. I mean, I could tell you stories about Vegas. Well, let's let's hear a couple stories about Vegas because well, I mean, every <laughs> every fanboy has this idea of playing in Vegas. Like you got the strip just sitting there, well, and every team that comes in is gonna experience the strip and play hockey. I can just imagine. Well, in Vegas, like my Glenn Gulletson had a rule so. Training camp, he, for, he had a couple things. He said, first, these people's livelihood is tipping. So if you're going to do anything, make sure you're tipping people. Okay? Because that's what they're like. They work on tips and minimum wage. Whether it's parking your car or whatever. He said, treat people. That's how things work around here. The next thing he said is, I have three strike rule. One, one strike. If someone's late for practice, that guy gets, because they've been out or whatever. He's like, that's the first strike. They get a fine. Okay, and whatever. Doesn't matter who it is, the next person that's late or whatever, they get a game and a fine. Third person, they get released. They're done. See you later. Doesn't matter who it is. So if you are that third person that gets the misses practice or something. You just inherited two other people. Yes, exactly. And doesn't matter unless you like it, unless there's some crazy circumstance. So uh, we're, you know what, on paper, we should have been way better than we were. Um, whatever and it's kind of like one of those struggle years and we're right in the middle of the season kind of in the the, the bad time like we're you know where because the year before they were first place right and I was just a young guy so what am I going to say about it I just go and fight and do my thing whatever and uh, this guy Dan Tudis so someone's already been late once and I think it might have even been Tudes. and I get to the rink and this is going to be um this is going to be a hard practice because we had we didn't play great on the weekend. The effort wasn't there or whatever on some guy's part. And so we live right across the street from the, the rink, from the practice rink. <laughs> and uh, I go, hey. Uh, and someone's like, where's Toods? He's not here. And someone's like, hey, Hawks, go grab him before Gully sees because like, someone had already got in trouble. So Toods would have gotten in trouble or whatever, right? So I'm the rookie. I'm the youngest guy by far. So I'm in my hockey gear. I jump the fence, go across the road, jump the fence, go to his apartment. Doors open. He's not there. Nowhere to be found. And so I'm like, what? Like he's not in his place or whatever. And just out of the corner of my eye at the pool, I see this guy like on a lawn chair. And I'm like, whatever, that might just, I went over there to check. Sure enough, it's too. So I get him going. He gets up. We go to the rink. And he, he slept out by the pool. But anyway, that's a side note. So then he comes to the rink, and I mean, let's be honest, he's half in the bag still. But he comes out, he gets ready for practice or whatever, but Gully knows this now. So Gully's like, hey, dudes, sit on the bench. You guys on the goal line. So we go for like 15 minutes of bag skating. Finally, the captain, Jason McBain, comes and he goes, oh, screw this. So he goes, dudes, get out here. So they're at center ice. We're all on the goal line. And he just drops the stuff, and they square off at center ice. And so they start fighting him. So everyone kind of converges. Some of the old guys are like, let it happen. Some of the guys are like, this is stupid. Wonder why we're not a good team. And Gully's like, leave it. Let them go. And so they fight for a bit, and then they break it up, and then practice starts. Or whatever. And I'll never forget that. I was like, this is pro hockey. But, yeah, I know it was a crazy story. 
Did you ever get uh when what was your first pro contract you ever signed then? Was it with uh, Vegas? No, well, yeah, it was. Um, like I said, they offered that three way, but I didn't. I'm like I said, I yeah, might yeah, as well yeah. just sign a Vegas contract anyway. So I, I just that would probably be my first one. Well, I guess Alaska would have been at the end of the year there, but. Do you remember uh, your first check doing anything spectacular when it said Vegas well, on it? Well, I'll tell you what. Living in the coast, your check isn't spectacular, and it goes right. They, yeah, they pay for your housing, and, and they pay for stuff. You know what like, I mean, though. I understand it ain't a million dollars. I think everybody in their and their cat knows it ain't a million dollars. I think you're just the first more time... excited to go to the store and grab some groceries and crap, <laughs> to be honest with you, with, a, with an East Coast check. So, what was the biggest change from going from dub life where you got, yeah, I don't know, curfew probably, billet family, etc., to now you're playing pro, living with probably a, a teammate or something? Was it just policing yourselves and having to keep each other in check, or, or what? What did you see as the biggest change from flipping from one oh, just, way of life to the next? There's no more. You know, you're you're responsible for yourself. I mean, you got to be at the rink at a time. You got to be there. There's no billet getting you up. There's no billet cooking for you. None of that stuff. I mean, I live with my girl, who I'm now married to, obviously. But uh, so I had the benefits of having that part of it, and God bless. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, like I I just just from the young guys or whatever, like oh, hundred percent. It's it's taking care of yourself. Um, you know, making sure that you're at the rink on time, making sure that you're eating, making sure you, you're on your own. Like there's no one, no whatsoever structure around you outside that rink. And that would be the biggest difference. I should have done this a while back, but you got to give a shout out to your billets. I'm assuming in your travels, you had some good billets. You know, man, uh, in Saskatoon, um, I had a, my first year I had awesome billets, but, um, I, I probably am like not the best billet to have, you know. I, I well, especially at the start, I probably pretty sure my billets were awesome, but then they didn't take a billet again for a little bit, and then they just decided they didn't want. They had younger like kids my age or whatever. Then the next year, I literally this is you know I I went through a lot of billets. Put it that way, not you, till the very end when I was in Seattle could I. Well, because I'm just, I'm not afraid to speak my mind and, and I have a different way of eating and stuff. Like I, I have a structure, like I'm a, I eat this at this time. I do this. You What's know? your structure on eating? Well, now I, I'm actually like, you know, I, I try to be a pescatarian. I try to eat seafood and, and a vegetarian lifestyle, but it doesn't really? always work out. No. And I, nothing against meat or anything. It's just. Why though? What, what, which, uh, what, what, I just way? have way more energy. And actually, to be honest, through my travels in Stockton and stuff, I, I kind of, I, I kind of picked a lot of my friends are vegans and stuff, not not and not like it's not like oh save the animals or anything. Yeah. They would go out and shoot an animal. They don't uh, want to shoot. Hey, I'm I'm but, not uh, I, I'm not going to shoot you down for it. I'm I'm very no, curious. No, but hey, why... I, hey, listen, I love a steak. Oh, don't yeah. get me wrong. And I'm not a hundred percent like. Like, you know, I sit sit there and I go to steakhouse. I'm not going to be that guy and not order something, whatever. But you but did notice a... seafood. You did notice a change when you switched from... Oh, 100%. To you know what? Vegetarian? If I could give any kids a, uh, kids a um, tip about pregame and stuff, hit the quinoa, um, stuff like that, for instead of pasta and stuff, and then make sure you're throwing, like, pepper and stuff like that, and then... 
the the next thing is go to if you need protein go to shrimp and stuff like that go to not even shrimp go to some kind of seafood or whatever man when you get to that game you'll feel way better you can't bog yourself down chicken i ate chicken and that's the next thing i haven't eaten chicken for like five years i ate so much chicken like every meal chicken parm chicken and alfredo rice. chicken, chicken this, and rice yep. every single place and my stomach just started getting to be honest it just started like i get bloated and gassy and whatever and so i was like no i'm i'm i changed and ever since my guts have been way better my performance was better uh going to the game i had more energy blah 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 honestly it's it was a big change and i wish i actually figured it out a lot sooner that's interesting yeah and if you want to go like nowadays, if, if like right now, obviously you're trying to look good in your birthday suit. You're not trying to train to be an athlete anymore. Honestly, man, you, that that life is way better if you want to keep off the the fat. <laughs> I just watched a documentary on Game Netflix. Changer. Game Changers. Yeah. And uh, I got to be very well. It's pretty simple. We come from cattle country. Yeah. We come from beef country. I'm a farm kid, grew up eating beef, everything. And I saw Game Changers. I'm like, didn't read the bio of it. So I'm like, well, that seems interesting. So I flicked it on. I got about 40 minutes in, half an hour in. And then I realized what it was about. And I was mad. I was I was, I was, was really mad because I was like, I don't want to listen about why I should become a vegan. But I owed it to myself to watch it through. And it was very interesting because I never don't listen to the other side very often. And it talked about all these uh, elite athletes that are vegans yeah. and why it's better and why... X, Y, Z, right? It was no, very interesting. And I, I think it's a time and place thing. I'm not telling you I'm a vegan and I'm not saying I'm a vegetarian. I'm not saying I prefer seafood. Yeah. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not a, ve- a vegan means like literally my shampoo doesn't have any animal <laughs> byproducts in it. Actually, it's, that's crazy. I don't, I don't need to be doing none of that. But uh, what I do believe in is what you put in your body and all that kind of stuff dictates a lot. And uh, for me, uh, I like to live that way um, as much as I can. I, well, I, you know, you have your arguments with your wife or whatever about what your kids eat or whatever, but my kids eat well. My wife obviously is unbelievable at cooking and stuff, so it's good. But at the end of the day, for me, I feel better. That's all that matters to me. I don't care what anyone else thinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I love a steak. I love some pork. I won't touch chicken. I just don't like chicken. I'm chickened out. I ate enough chicken for a lifetime when I was in hockey. Um, I, I prefer, but if I'm, you know, if it's there, I'll eat it. But I'm not uh, going out of my way. If I can eat seafood, I will. No, it's just interesting. That's all. No judgment from my side of the no. table. I just find it interesting. It's just we come from a land of yeah, cattle, and I mean, like chicken. At the end of the day, I I respect the heck out of that, and and every teach in their own. But I, for my living, like I said, I I I would say I'm once a week guy. Yeah. What uh, What did you do to train in the off season? I always. As the generation, the different age group of guys that come on here, I always love talking about what they did in the off season to train for the upcoming season. Because you, firsthand, being on ice with kids now, it's got to be like night and day since you you uh, grew up. Because I mean, Wainwright wouldn't have had ice in the summer back when you were growing up. I don't think. No. Okay. So um, I moved to Edmonton when I got to junior, and I trained with Barry Bud at Premier Strength. Okay. He's the best in the biz. Um, I've learned a lot from him. And then, you know what, honestly, I learned a ton from him and that's why I, like I actually, we rep the, the premier brand, like in Wainwright, that's what we train. Um, a lot of our kids have had success and I went to camp and owned the fitness tests and stuff with that. Um, so I, I went up there and I trained and then I skated like perns and I did other things. 
But you know what? Uh, that's actually how I got into PEP. Like that was missing when I was growing up. Like period. Now I I will go out and work with novice kids that are twice as skilled as I was when I was a midget, because <laughs> they are working on their motor skills. They're working on yeah. that stuff. There was none of that. None of that. Not even the brains around the operation to help you with that stuff. And and that's why all these kids are superhuman now because they've been doing that stuff since they're twelve, right? Same thing as fighting. Okay, back in the day you had Tank Abbott and these guys walk in there and just slug it out. Well now. There's kids that are 12 that are doing karate, boxing, jiu-jitsu, all this stuff. Now those kids are like 18, 19. That's why you have these champs that are like crazy athletes, crazy martial arts. Same thing with hockey. You have these kids doing this stuff. Think of all the reps from when they're six or seven years old till the time they're 18. The amount of motor skills and speed and, and everything that goes into their game. It's crazy. And, and, and for me, like that... I was missing all that. So, and I'd even when I was in junior and stuff, I was missing all that. So, to me, now that's actually how I got into being a Power Edge Pro guy is like that. I like where was this when I was growing up? You know, yeah, no kidding. Where was it wasn't this when there. you were? It wasn't you there. Be hacking guys when they go wide. You'd actually stick on puck and understand all that <laughs> stuff, which I didn't before. I'm like, gotta hit this guy. When in sounds fact, like the you guy remember that had, guy had this, <laughs> yeah. Guy, guy has the puck in front of him exposed, and I'm like, gotta hit him. No, you gotta take the puck from him. You know, he's left his hands out there to dry. You know, who's the most skilled guy you've ever been on the ice with? Then now that you're in the coaching stage of teaching kids and everything, like, like teaching or played with <laughs> teaching. And let's go teaching. Ah, uh, teaching. Well, I've had the, the, I've had the. Uh, honor to be on the ice with Connor McDavid. So it's I just, mean, it's no contest. I mean, I'm, so I run some of the drills at the, our, our pro camp in Toronto and you're just like, and you know, if it's a whistle drill or something, sometimes you forget to blow the whistle. Cause you're like, your mouth, like this guy isn't human. Actually, it's funny. We were doing this down low drill and, uh, actually Bobby McMahon, I brought him and Carson Susie. And so Carson, Bobby is with like Connor and these guys doing this stuff. And he, he goes and he goes. There's there's four shots on the goalie after you've done this sequence, and and to go through this stuff at the speed these guys are going through, like you got to be insane on the motor skills and and all that stuff. Um, and uh, Bobby went through and he got went three for four, and, and Connor and them like, who is this kid? You know, kind of thing. Like Bobby McMahon's very skilled player, especially for that stuff. Um, and then Connor's like, oh okay, and so Connor literally does stuff that no one in the world could do over the or through the peps and he goes four for four and on the last goal he had me in the corner along with the goalie and Matt Duchesne was sitting beside me and he goes that guy is not a human <laughs> and so that's that's the level and that's how you know to those guys that's how they see that kid so it's unbelievable. Like, and I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, I'm like Connor's trainer or anything like that. I'm just part of the program that, that he's part get, of. You get to stand on the same. Yeah. And I just, you own. know, I, we're, you know, these are some of these drills are my drills that, you know, that I've helped the company and Chris, me and Scott Smith. And, uh, it's, it's crazy. Like we do this one drill where it's an overspeed drill and we literally did it just to watch Connor the next summer. This and, and man, he goes through this stuff, and normal guys just place the puck under the pep. He sauced it over all eight peps going full speed, never stopping crossing over. It is absolutely insane to watch that guy live. So, I mean, as far as that goes, that's the, the you know, in any training atmosphere, that's the guy that I would say is amazing. 
as far as like kids and stuff goes, I mean, uh, you know, you know, Parker Mackay or, or, uh, Bobby or even that Parker Stretsky, those kids, there's some, they're very, 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 very skilled and, and they'll be very good players. But, you know, if you want to go pound for pound or age for age, Jagger Furcus, there you won't find a kid that is more skilled than that. Jagger Furcus? Yeah, he plays on the Midget AAA team here as a 15. He just signed with Moose Jaw. He is, man, you, his eyes in the back of his head and he can. He can handle the puck like he is unbelievable skill level. He's and he's playing for, in in town for Lloyd. Yes, he is. Yeah, got to pull myself out and go watch him. Yeah, that's what you're go saying. Go watch, go watch that kid. He's gonna be a player. He's you know I mean the intensity and stuff and people have questioned you know some of that stuff about him, but I think he's proved everyone wrong this last little while. I think he kind of took it to heart after they getting cut from top eighty and stuff. And I went and watched him recently, but man, not only can he handle the puck and at a like high high level he the plays that kid makes you know he's the guy that shoulder checked three seconds before and knows that guy is going to be there where me and you are like if it's not there when we look it's not there you know that guy is like three steps ahead and that you know why you had mason on your show he's very similar to mason mason just has that mason you tell Mason that he can't get that puck, he'll find, he'll a, find way. a way. He'll bite your ankle and grab the puck. I always found it interesting when Mason walked in, I was expecting him to be a bigger guy. He's a, you know, he's, he's a got pretty thick legs. Oh, absolutely. Like he's not a small guy. Tell but you. just most NHL guys that walk in, you've probably seen some of the pictures. They make me look like a gnome, yeah. right? Like he walked in, he's like my size. Yeah. But his, uh, his bite and his, his character, Make up for absolutely, size. yeah, yeah. He and was super impressive. I have some to awesome have on. stories about Mason. Uh, I'll I'll give you a story. So Mason's the extremely competitive kid. Like you haven't met a more competitive kid. And uh, so we were in the gym, and him and Logan Ganey were doing. Uh, they were seeing who could plank the longest. So they're at like the nine and a half minute mark. So you can imagine, like, pretty much you're not using your abs anymore. It's just like sag and arms and everything else, right? And Mason goes to. Logan, he goes, hey, Logs, let's just say we tied. Let's just both go down and say we tied. So it's like 10 minutes now. And Logan's like, okay, like, all right, sounds good. He's okay, go. And Mason faked, and Logan went down, and Mason stayed up. And Mason's like, ah, I won. <laughs> that's that's how competitive he is. But I, 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 you know what? I saw the leadership that in that kid um, at very young. Like, he'd be two years ahead of him self at like hockey camp and he'd be telling the older kids to shut up and listen to the instructor on the dry land or like he he was a leader he's a born leader Aaron did a hell of a job his dad when he was growing up did a really good job Aaron's actually got an unbelievable hockey mind for not have playing like he understands the game at a whole nother level considering he didn't play like other than senior and stuff it's actually pretty crazy how knowledgeable he is. He's got a very good mind. Here's a question for you. What is it about Wayne? Wainwright's become a little hub of hockey. Like, there's a lot of that area. I shouldn't say just Wainwright, but like Wainwright and surrounding, I don't know what you would call it, but how far you go, but it's the surrounding area has really produced some hockey players. You know, I What mean, is it about it, that area? To, to be honest with you, like, 
there's always been kids there, but we never had a place till I opened this gym and, and we got that rink and Irma in the summers, which we have now. You'll have to come do your podcast next year at our celebrity game. We have a celebrity game in Irma in Irma. Yeah, in have, Irma. Yeah. It's awesome. Right in the middle of the summer. It's, it's a hell of a game too. Irma keeps its ice in all summer. Uh, we put it in for the month of July. Really? Yeah. Our, our group or whatever. But, uh, who do just, you get in? Sorry. Who do you get in for your celebrity game? Uh, we get all the kids from the surrounding area and they play. No so kidding. the Aces have a team. So some of the Aces play and then we have the Wainwright team and we like, we bring guys from outside the city this summer. I'm going to guess with Carson playing with some of these other guys, we'll even have some big names. Clegger kind of committed to come next summer and some guys like that. But we, yeah, we have some high end players out there, put it that way. It's all American league, NHL, East coast or, um, WHL college junior A guys. Yeah. So it's it's a great game, and again, so the first year they beat us by one. We hit a post with like seven seconds. I even play, and then this last year we won in overtime. But like Mike Susie plays yeah. net, and like you know we have, but then we have guys. You know, it's it's a great thing, and we'll have to talk about that closer too. You'll have to come out. Maybe you'll have to play. Well, maybe I'll just have to come take a peek at. It. We'll keep in touch. Yeah, yeah that'd be sure. cool. But yeah, you get to see all these players. But again, back to our area. I mean, we. You know, when I was growing up, you either had to go to the city, so a lot of kids don't want to do that, so they stopped. Because now you have to be trained when you go to camp. Yep. You have to be doing this. And so we had a lot of talent there, but when I was growing up, but there was nothing there unless you were willing to go make that sacrifice, like some of us. And um, so it's always kind of been there. But, you know, I, I wouldn't have this gym without Mike Susie mainly. Mike Susie is absolutely probably way one of the best guys you'll ever meet. B, he is... That Irma connection, none of those kids are even close to where they are without him. He's the man. So uh, shout out to him. He's He is honestly one of the big reasons for our area. My old man has helped out a lot um, with that stuff too. Like he's helped promote kids to, you know, you got to train, you got to do this, you got to do that. And so we opened that gym. So we have a whole curling rink, turfed, uh, 40 meters of running track, a shooting center, like five or six uh, uh, platforms, Kaisers, you name it, we have it. It's like there won't be a facility around even close to it. Torque tanks, you name it, we have it all in there. So we run that program in there, and then we have the Power Edge Pro we do twice a week in Irma, plus we do another session. Plus we bring Steven Gertzen, who's been a massive part of these kids' development. They're skating, they're shooting, everything. Um, he comes from the city. He's the real deal. He should be in the NHL as a skills coach, and he's probably got a lot of offers to do that. But he runs the SHL now and uh, some of that stuff. But, yeah, he, he comes out still. He comes and does works with a lot of our guys, a lot of their skating and stuff. But we have a, we, we have a lot of Lloyd kids come out too and stuff. Randomly. Yeah, well, Irma's only what from here? 50 yeah. minutes? And throughout my pep Maybe days, a little farther I've had lots of these kids. Like when we come up here, we do a one in the spring We because we don't have ice in Irma. Um, get guys ready for camp. We all have waters, and a bunch of those guys will come out and skate with us. Um, so Waters yeah, is having a heck of a go this yeah, year, man. Yeah, man, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you a story. So that was I, a cool kid to have I, on When here. I first came back, you won't meet a more humble kid. And you know what? He's a coach's dream, dude. He'll go through someone. He'll go around them. He'll do whatever it takes. He's a great kid. Uh, you won't ever find a better guy to have as a coach. Um, but anyway, I was I was talking to the Seattle scout, who's now actually uh, head of amateur scouting for Pittsburgh, um, uh, Colin, and, and I go, Colin, 10 of these guys wins you a Memorial Cup. 
And he's like, nah, whatever. Like, we'll watch and see. That's pretty bold statement. I said, man, never mind these guys you're talking about. Ten of these guys wins your cup. After the game, Chase had a heck of a game. Ran over like ten guys and blocked ten shots and scored two goals or whatever. And and not to mention, like I said, he's a great kid. And he comes up to me after he goes, Hawks, you are right. Ten of those guys wins you <laughs> wins you the Memorial Cup. I I love Chase. I mean, I would have him on my, when he went to Anaheim this year. Um, I and and they took him to main camp. I was like, finally, someone is is because a, a lot of these guys, they, the scouts, they come watch and. They, they don't quite understand, like, they don't understand what, when you input that guy in your room, what, what it does. you're getting. Yeah. And as a coach, I look down the bench, whether I need a goal or I don't need a goal, Chase Waters is the guy I'm picking to go on the ice. I don't care. Because I know in, in the last minute, he'll eat one with his face or block a shot. I know if he's got to win a battle, I'm putting him in the corner. Unless it's with Mason Shaw, who, uh, guy wins battles like crazy. Uh, or hey, I need a goal. That guy will fight into a dirty area to frick bang one in, and that is the guy. But that's the same thing you got with like Pace, Mason Shaw, Parker Mackay, all these kids. That's why they're such. That's why they're having success. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the kid. And now, if I can instill some of that in some of these other kids, like if they can reach and grab that, you know, I mean, there's some very good talent around here. Can we talk about the? We kind of got it off uh, off of your career, but actually not we're off your career for a little bit. Um, you've had really good success with the junior B team in Wainwright. Yeah, you guys have won. Well, you didn't win last year, correct? Yeah, we lost in overtime. Lost in overtime. Yeah, well, that one's still, still sore. I can see. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know I appreciate. But you've something. had. But you've had a. In, overall, since you've been a part of that program, you guys have been dominant. Yeah, I believe we're actually. I think we're one eighty, seventeen, uh, two and one, or, or I guess it'd be three and one. One eighty, seventeen, two and one. Is that what you just said? Yeah. So we we've only lost like seventeen or eighteen games, and we've we're one hundred and eighty now. We have a ticker. So is is that bringing in? I haven't looked at your lineup. I got to be honest. This kind of came together so quickly over the weekend. Do you bring a lot of guys in from all over the place? Okay, is so- that? So when I first came back, I'll, I'll just give you a little background. So when I first came back, um, Seth Anderson, this guy, he asked me, hey, Hawks, like, he asked me to sit down at Tim Hortons for a coffee. And, Will you coach the Bisons? I was like, not a chance am I touching junior B hockey. Like, I just looked down on it. I was like, fair point. Okay. Yeah, right. And then I can, I can understand where you're coming and then, from. And I was just like, I, I don't want to deal with kids that don't care and whatever. And that's that's right. kind of my opinion of it at the time. And then he, whatever. So then he started coaching and he's like, okay, well I'll do the coaching. And, but he doesn't even skate or anything like God bless his soul. Unbelievable at managing. And Hey, I, we owe the Bisons owe a lot of the success to him, not being degrading, but he couldn't even skate. And he wasn't the guy to tell you he could skate. He's like, man, I have no idea about hockey. I just know how to get the guys here. And so then about a month in, I said, you know what? I'll do the hockey ops side. I'll start running your practices. And then I started running the practices and then I started running you know, I started going on the bench in the games uh, when I wasn't with the uh, the Bantams, and then we we went in and we had we lost one game all year, and then we went into the playoffs, and and whatever, and I now I'm in full bore now, right? And then I went in and we went to Cold Lake and we lost to Cold Lake. We couldn't figure out their goalie. Uh, we shoot out shoot him sixty to twenty every night. It was a kid from the Dub. That's the year they hosted Western, so they paid this kid like ten grand to come there, but. I was like, okay, after we lost, I made a 
thing. I said, we're not losing. We're winning the league next year, no matter what. We're going to win the league. But my biggest thing from that first year and about junior hockey, junior B hockey, is, hey, there is a ton. It's such a misconception. I tell junior A guys this all the time, like GMs and stuff. You have to find a way to motivate the guy that came back from junior A that didn't want to play and is coming down there. You got to find a way to motivate him to want to play for you. You got to motivate the guy that should be there but chose not to go at all. You got to motivate the guy that wanted to so badly to be there but couldn't make it. And then you got to motivate the guy that just loves hockey. You have to it's it, you have to find a way to motivate all the personalities. But what you realize is these kids all want to be a part of something and they want to they want to win, they want to do all that stuff, but they just don't want the commitment of going up there, some of them, right? So I, I got a whole nother respect for these kids. Like, just because, you know, you look at a kid like Chandler Klein, that guy, I mean, he should be in the NCAA right now, honestly. It's, Rick Swan would probably tell you the same thing if he would have wrote out his career. He would have, he is like Chase Waters, 101, probably with more of a scoring upside, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, you look at a kid like that, he just didn't, he wants. He wanted to come home. He wanted to do his thing. He wants to be in a trade. He he doesn't. You know. He didn't want to go to practice every day. He didn't want to do that stuff. But man, when he plays, he's passionate. So I I said, okay, well, let's create. Um, uh, let's let's have the 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 identity of our team. When you come to the rink, this is a junior A team. That's how we're gonna coach it. We're gonna do video. We're gonna go through our pregame. We're going to do everything. We're going to meet with these kids all the time. We're going to do this. When we practice, we're going to have our level has to be here. We're going to demand, demand, demand. But we're going to understand you got to work and you got to do all this other stuff, right? And this isn't your life. So when you come here, it's they, here. And so they want that intensity. Those kids want, they don't want to come and be like, this is a country club. They can go play rec yeah. hockey. So they want this, but they have the commitment of this. And so that was our motto. So then the next year I said, you know what? We got to learn. Well, how do we lose? So I said, okay, we got to change this, this, and this, this year. So the first year helped us win the league the next year because we learned from that. Okay. So we learned from what went wrong this year and we put it in this year. Then we went into provincials. Okay. And we went there and, and we did our best obviously and everything. We get to the final and, uh, we should have still won. Like every year I've been to provincials in the gold, we should win. Honestly, we had the team, but they were also a great team as well. But we lost my second year in the gold medal game. We lost to high prairie or whatever they are. But I, I got on the bus right after that. And I was like, I wrote five or six things down. I said, we have to change this. We want to be that team next year. So the next year we came, we went to St. Won the league. Then we went to St. Paul I mean, that year was crazy. We won the league in overtime. I mean, it was four straight, but still we won the game in overtime. We won provincials in overtime, and we won westerns in overtime. So three overtimes to win everything. But um, So we won the provincials because the, the year before, we, you know, I learned. We all learned from what it took to actually win. Like it's one, we won, lost 3-2 the year before. So we went to Westerns, but I said to the guys, we can't do what we did last year. We're not going to get another crack at Westerns because we're all kind of told us that might be the last one. And I said, how do you know you'll ever get back here, guys? This, there is no more learning. We have to take everything we've already learned and win. And sure enough, we went in there. We, I mean, there's teams that played 14 guys all five games. We played five guys all four, all five games before that six game because you have to win. You have to go with this. If you make the gold, it's a six game. So 
we went there with the max amount of guys. We put guys in, put like different lineups. We had this stuff planned weeks before. And we went in there and we went into that last game with more juice. And obviously we won in overtime or whatever. But we didn't have it. We, we knew we weren't going to get a second crack at that. So there was no more learning to be had. And then the next year, our team was dominant. I guarantee you if we would have had the Westerns again, we would have won it again. That team was probably better than the year before, to be honest with you. We were stacked when we went to Fort St. John and won. And then last year, we had an unbelievable team. But all year long, it was a different mix. And, and it's crazy. One of the things we talked about all year long, one little detail, I'm not going to go through it, cost us in, in overtime and in the last five minutes when they scored. But that was a battle of the Titans. I mean, both of us lost one game all year, whatever it was. Until the playoffs. Top two teams, man, right to the end. Top two teams in Alberta, and we met in the gold medal game, and it was it was probably one of the best junior B games Alberta will ever see for as far as talent and everything. So, you know, we broke so many hearts along the way, and, you know, I told those guys, I mean, think of all the soul, souls you guys crushed on the way to this. Now we're on the other end of it. How does it feel? Well, the guy's coming back. Let's not let it happen again. So that's our model here. But our whole motto all along every single year is us against the world. Um, it's a Tupac thing. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't care about us. The refs don't care about us. The league doesn't care about us at one point. You know, all that kind of stuff. Like, the league obviously supports us a lot. We have an awesome league, but I'm just saying like no one worried. If you don't win, no one feels sorry for you. Or That's anything. right. It's, it's everyone in this room. So it's us against the world. Who cares? Your parents might care and that's about it. So guys in this room, that's all that matters. So we have like a, I guess it's like a gang mentality. This is the only people in this room are the only ones that matter to us. And that's our, been our motto for the last four years, and that's how we play. We don't care. We know everyone's against us in our eyes. That's what we build up, right? Yep. And we have to beat. We have to beat the refs. We have to beat the, you know, even though we don't. I'm just, yeah, you know, yeah. That's our that's our motto, and that's that's what we have. And we have a great opportunity here this year. Uh, again, we have a great group, and we have another chance. And here we go. So what uh, what's next for you? Are you do you want to you know, continue I've on with coaching some, or had some the offers. training? Or? I've had some offers for coaching. Um, actually, one year I actually got offered a job like straight up, like before even I just didn't have my HP one. But um, you know, really, when my daughter graduates, then I'll leave. But I can't. How old's your daughter? She's got six years left. Six years, okay. Yeah, so when she's done, we kind of made a promise that we'd stay in one place because we moved around for so long. So long, yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, when I'm done, that's kind of what I'll do. But uh, So you want to carry on with coaching and you yeah, think? Yeah, no, I will at one point. But uh, the development thing is going really good. Um, a lot of our players are doing a lot of special things. And so it's been awesome that way. So, I, you know, I can't really just walk away from that. We've, we've built something special and we're going to continue that. And even after I started coaching, you never know, maybe this will be a summer spot. Cool. Well, we've been going now for, eh, I think about an hour and a half. So I, I want to get, I always do a uh, final five, just five quick hit questions. They can take as long or be as short as you want them to be, but it's brought to you by crude masters So thanks Heath and Tracy McDonald. They're huge supporter, uh, supporters of the podcast, but five quick questions for you before I let you out of here. Um, one, if you could party with any celebrity, who would you want it to be? Uh, Will Ferrell. <laughs> I'd love to see what that guy's like. I'm sure if he was just an actor, see if he's like that. Guaranteed. 
Yeah. Guaranteed he'd be a blast. Yeah, he'd be fun. Get him in a hot tub. <laughs> that, that's my favorite Will Ferrell thing. Anyway. <laughs> if you could pick line mates. Now, you play both D and forward. Uh, you can even pick, well, we can do one of each if you like. If you were going to pick a D partner, who would it be? Drew Doughty. Love the way he plays. Love his passion. Just seems like it'd be fun to listen to him chirp, guys. Yeah, he'd have he'd have some fun. Uh, you'd be chuckling all game long. Yeah. Um, how about forward? What position are you playing for? Um, I play wing. Um, but I have actually played D. I actually played D. Like we were like six guys down. I played the American League once for God's sake. But I played about twenty, thirty games on D and pro. Speaking of the American League, I'm gonna put this right in the middle of the five questions. I gotta know as an Oilers fan, how on earth did you end up? Where did you go to? Because you played for Springfield, right? Back in the day. Yeah. So again. I sent Kevin Lowe a letter. And, so you uh, you learned with the the Daryl Sutter that well no this... I just I didn't have an agent but I with them I had a little more rapport because in Stockton they were our affiliates so I sent him a letter he he brought me to camp I literally I mean literally fought my way and they like literally said that on the news kind of thing and it was actually crazy so I was having my first kid um, then my wife was in Saskatoon yeah and she was like ready to pop but i we were in yellow knife and i just got back that day and she her mom called me and said hey you gotta get here kind of thing or she called me and you gotta get here and i was so nervous i i called uh i called i was sitting with tim sestito who played with the oilers he played a little bit with the oilers he was mostly with the devils but i go tim this is the situation like i don't i don't want to ruin this opportunity but i you know he's like don't be stupid you gotta go man get the get in the car like what are you doing <laughs> and i was like oh <laughs> and, I, and listen, man, I would do anything. That, like, I'm so glad that I went to whatever, obviously, and whatever. But at the time, you're like, this no, is no, no, your career's on the line. Your like, career's on the line, yeah. And then so I, I called Kevin, and I was like, Kevin, Prendergast, if you say it's not okay, I won't go. But if if you say to go, I'll go. Like, whatever. Like, I really want to go. But, I mean, I'll do whatever you guys say because that's how much this means to me to play for the Oilers. And Kevin Lowe calls me, and he says, Get in your car right now and get on the road. You won't play. You don't need to play in the Bears game anyway because it was the whatever they did play at Claire Drake. He said, get the hell in your car right now and go. And and that was like a big thing in the staff. They're like, you were honestly going to do that? Like, you know, I was like, man, I'll do anything to play. Because, you know, like that's much your career. But my daughter's birth means more than any of that now. Well, absolutely. But anyway, um, so then I went there, came back, and then I went to main camp first shift went out and fought this Flynn and he, um I was it Ryan Flynn big dude like 6'5 bald and I knew he couldn't throw left so I went in and me and Flynn ended up being buddies after that we and they were like oh my god you're a psycho but I played really good in camp and then they're like hey I, I didn't play in the inner squad the Joey Moss I'm like oh my time's done you know and they brought me in they're like hey you've earned an exhibition you're gonna play against the Leafs so I got to play. You got to play for the Oilers against the Leafs yes. in an exhibition game? Yeah. And it was their only game that year that they were coming because remember the Leafs have offset schedules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I played. So, like, I'm cruising and Sedin or Sundin's cruising along the lines. And I'm like, holy crap, this is crazy. But anyway, I played first shift, get the puck on the wall, go to pass to the middle, put it right on Kyle Willwood's tape. He goes in. He has a wooden stick, by the way, which I thought was crazy. Goes crossbar. I get on the bench and Mac T's like, Got that one out of your system, Hawks? I'm like, yep. And then the rest of the game, I had a good game. I Oh, I was lined up against Darcy Tucker. I hacked him in the laces twice. And he goes, kid, I'm not fighting an exhibition. Beat it. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. 
But yeah. did you fight in the exhibition? No, game? I couldn't. The only guy I could have fought, he I didn't play against. He was playing. Belak was playing like Belak, top lines. Yeah. He ran Anson Carter from behind, but I never really played against him. And pff, to be honest with you, Belak was tough as nails. Yeah, he was, was a beast, mass murderer. So who knows? But I, you know, I was dumb enough. I would have did it probably. But he, that's a big mismatch because he can throw rights and left. Chance, then, chances are what we're going to have to do is we're just going to have to have him back on for part two at some point here so we can talk a little bit more in depth. Because, I mean, you got more stories to tell about. Uh, I mean, it's just cool because diehard Oilers fan. I mean, I grew up watching the Oilers, missed all their glory days of Gretzky and them. But, I, you know, I the times you're talking about, I was probably gone. I was probably down south or out east or wherever I was playing. Like the Mac T days, that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, the next year is I have – awesome stories about it but, but yeah anyway i got sent down to springfield that year and then I ended up back in stockton and then up to springfield a little bit but then they invited me back the next year and it wasn't like i was like the the the, the letter guy so they actually like sportsnet did a story on my letter they actually put my number on there my phone number so i'm getting calls from random people <laughs> your story is awesome i'm like how'd you get my number well, they forgot to freaking sharpie it out right but then the next year I went in there and it wasn't about me or anything like that or whatever. I had one or two interviews or whatever. But then it was hilarious. Like I left my phone in the car and I wasn't on the roster to go to Vancouver. I was going to go to Arizona. Um, that's what the plan was. And I left my phone in my car for some reason that night. And then I get in the car to go to the rink because guys that are practicing to go to Vancouver practice at 930 and then they get out of the plane other guys practice at 12. So I was getting up to go to the, to the rink because you got to be an hour before or whatever. And I have 15 missed calls from Bucky, Kelly Buckberger. And I call him. He goes, Hawks, I don't blame you for not answering. He's like, you may, who knows where your phone was, blah, blah, blah. But here, you got to be at this, at the, at the airport in this, in like the next half hour here. Get your stuff. You're playing tonight. They have your gear loaded, blah, blah, blah. So I literally get on and the whole team's on the on the on the plane. So I got through their little security, which is like two seconds. Get on the plane, the whole staff and team, they're like, gave me the slow clap. And Rolly's like, come here, Rolson. He's like, Rolly, by the way, awesome guy. And he's like, hey, Hawks, don't worry about any of that. He's like, everyone knows that you didn't miss practice on purpose and you weren't supposed to play and blah, blah, blah. And Bucky's like laughing. Everyone was laughing and whatever. So I went out and, and I played and um, I was, you know, I, I played with some fourth line, me and Zach Stortini and, and uh, Jer, um, Tyler Spurgeon played together. But yeah, no, the Sedins were on the other team and uh, all that stuff. So it was cool. I fought Mike Brown twice. He seatbelted me. <laughs> Pissed me <laughs> off. But Hordachuk, who I've, one of my, like I have a top five all-time guys I wanted to fight and Hordy's tough as nails. Don't get me. But he was on my list and, but he was playing with the Sedins. So... I didn't really, he, he was playing like we were off shifts or whatever. Yeah. I would have way rather fought him. We would have highlighted the night the way I fight and the way he fights. would have been a hell of a fight. And, you know, Rick Rippon wasn't playing God Bless His Soul. That's another guy that was on my list. I have a lot of respect for the way he fought. So, <clears throat> but anyway, that was, that was a, yeah. So every little, every way along the way, I have a funky little story about nothing was ever like easy or planned or went as planned. It was always something weird happening. <laughs> What, uh, question number three, as we move along here, what, uh, you must have, you've played too many places and
and I'm sure that you had to have had a place that uh, when you were coming in on a road trip that you looked forward to. I mean, you played in Vegas, so that I would assumed if your opposing team Vegas would have been like, okay, boys, we're having fun in this place. Being playing in Vegas or wherever else you went in your career, was there a place you always looked forward to a certain bar, a certain place where you went, and you're like, ah, I love going here. You know, uh, best place in the minors, bar none, from anywhere to go to, Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho. Yeah. The school is right smack down downtown, and it's cheap to drink there. Like, if you play there, there's bars that you drink for free. But guys coming on the road, like, 30 bucks gets you. And, and like, you go party with the other team and whatever. It's an unbelievable place to go out on a Friday, Saturday, even during the week. And guys would just love it. They're like, we're going to Boise. And in the coast, you go there for three games. You go Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So Wednesday, you want to win. Saturday, you want to win because you want to go out to Boise. Like, it's a blast. How about, is there a guy that you fought in your career? And the... uh always think of hockey players are really cool because you can fight somebody and then afterwards go sit and have a beer with them and it's like there's no animosity for the most part. Um, is there a guy that sticks out that uh, you used to tussle with but you were really good friends off ice? You know what, man? I had a mutual respect for a lot of guys. Um, like pretty much everyone I fought. Um, you know what's hilarious? Like I used to fight Garrett Hunt after I got traded. But when he first came to, the, to Stockton or whatever, he was going out and like, trying to and I beat the living snot out of him in camp cut him open pretty good but you know whatever and then we became friends and but like literally that kid we'd have him over for supper and like all kinds of stuff and then like you know he would go and fight these heavyweights and he's like up to my waist he's like shorter than you are and and you know what I admire his courage and everything I was like dude you can't go square off with these guys if you're fighting them it's got to happen in the corner where you can get some grab on them or something and get in tight and I said, the second thing is, pick your spots, man. Like, you can't just go out and fight all these guys. You won't last long. You'll be dead. And I used to have him over, and I was kind of helping mentor him a bit and whatever. And then when I got traded, we'd, like, right away we'd fight. It was crazy. Um, actually, probably half of the problems on my hand because that guy's head is hard as a rock. But <laughs> nice kid, whatever. But, uh, yeah, no, you know, after games and stuff, you talk to those guys or whatever. But I'm like, uh, who would I... I, I fought some really good friends of mine and stuff. I, I would have to think. I have so many. Like, But I have a mutual respect for anyone. There's not anyone. a lot of guys. Yeah. There's only a couple guys I would fight and then not show respect to. That's the thing about hockey, right? But there's only a couple of them where it was like heated. I hate this guy, you know? So, Final one for you. Uh, you mentioned it, mentors. Did you have a mentor growing up or in hockey or now you know in what? your coaching? I, you know what? My my dad was really good. Like I said, I wish I would have listened to him a lot of you earlier in life but as far as hockey goes laxy was awesome laxy was good away he was a coach that was awesome at the rink and away from the rink he was really good you know he has what some dry t- humor or whatever but uh he was awesome and there's no re- no way you know that you are successful a guy's won every single place he's been like big trophies not what did he ones. teach you or what did any of your mentors well teach you know he you know he was just he was pretty good he was he just showed you like like one day at a time type thing. But at the same time, I, I don't know. Rob Pauline actually was awesome. He was he was really, really good. Rob Pauline was our assistant coach in Vegas. Now he's actually a coach in, um, uh, what the heck is that called? Uh, he's in the, uh, he was in Hungary. Uh, what the heck is it called now? 
uh, Innisbrook. So he's in the Austrian league now as the head coach. And you know what, man? Rob is just an amazing guy. He's a, he's the coach I would call you. Let's go for a coffee or whatever. He'd joke around a bit with you. But like just an amazing human being and guy you'd want to be around. And, and you kind of learn from guys like that. Like, man, you got to be a good guy. You can't. You can't be the dictator or the guy that, you know, you come to the rink and you're scared to be around him. And I learned a lot about that. Like Ryan Mujanel was awesome like that. You got to be able to come to the rink and relate to that coach. Dictatorship no longer works in hockey. And uh, that's why you see a lot of these guys that used to be successful. They're not anymore because it's a, it's a different culture now. And uh, I learned a lot from those guys. Like same with Glenn. Glenn was very approachable and stuff like that. So... You learn that. I guess I learned from a lot of people that way. No, that's cool. Well, appreciate you driving up to sit down with me. This has been unexpected for a Remembrance Day long weekend. Like I, yeah. I wasn't, uh, I've been busy with three kids, so I wasn't really thinking too much about this until you reached out. So I yeah. uh, really appreciate you stopping in. I've had, you can thank, throw a shout out to Nick Fountain. He's the one that he tweeted about, you should bring Hux on the show. And uh, that's a guy you got to get on your show. You want to talk to an interesting human being, that guy's got a crazy insight on life and stuff. And his story is pretty crazy too with like this whole brain thing. And now he's going to be a lawyer and his play. You got to get that guy on sometime. He'd be super interesting to have on here. Cool. But we have lots of athletes. I mean, you bring Parker. You'd be awesome. It'd be awesome for you to, to actually, if you're smart, you'll bring the Irma crew in one day with Parker and Carson. The Irma crew, uh, if you're listening, because I reached out to them here before they left for camp. They uh, they didn't come on. They were going to camp or they ghosted they'll me. They'll come so. one day. They'll come this summer, I bet. Oh, they're amazing kids. Guarantee. <laughs> guarantee. I put them on there. the spot now. No. <laughs> no, guarantee uh, Parker and Seuss. And you, I mean, the, they've won a couple national championships. Yeah, like no. players and that. But they probably have really good stories from Duluth and all that kind of stuff. But great, great kids. Yeah, no, we'll make sure we get them on. Well, once again, appreciate you coming on and uh, – uh, I've enjoyed this. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, we talked about half the story, so you know what? I Anytime you want to have me back, you just let me know. Well, I mean, you're talking about a celebrity game in the middle of the summer. It just seems fitting if uh, if that's going on that I might have to be well, around. and we You can... might have to play in it. Well, we might have to do that too. Yes. I might get sticked uh, by a couple of the guys I've probably sticked in my career. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well, thanks for having me, big guy. Yeah, thanks. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in the latest episode where I sat down with Mr. Huxley. Appreciate hearing uh, his stories and and uh, he's been he's been some places that's for sure. Um, if uh, if you're liking what's going on with the podcast, I love hearing from you guys. So make sure you reach out Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just shoot me a message. I, I like knowing what you guys are thinking of the podcast. If there's things that stick out to you, that kind of thing, just reach out and uh, get your shout out on here and and try and continue to make this uh, experience as good as it possibly can and try and track down as many of these local guys who got these stories that not only I want to hear, but other people from the area want to hear and, and get them out to you. So until next week, thanks guys.